I'm Megan. I'm Colin. And this is Pet Sitter Sitter Confessional. Confessional. An open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Time to Pet. What's your exit plan from pet sitting? Have you ever thought about what your life looks like in 10, 20, or 30 years? Retirement and exit plans can seem like a long way off, but starting now with a simple plan and a simple way forward is one of the most powerful things we can do to set ourselves up for success. Jen Cern was previously back on episode 69, and she joins us again to talk about her philosophy around pricing, around goal setting, and how to make sure we are setting ourselves up for success in the long run. Let's get started. Okay. Hi, Colin. Thanks for having me back on. I'm excited to be here. Uh, My name is Jen Cern, and I am a self-employed pet sitter and dog walker in Colorado. I started pet sitting in 2012 in Seattle through Rover. It was a side gig because I was pursuing my career as a medical examiner at that time. But after my contract with the county expired, I decided I would try pet sitting full-time so I could hang out on the West Coast, have some fun, and I just never went back to medicine. (laughs) So um, I'm probably most well-known for going full nomad in 2016. So I gave up my apartment and just was house-sitting full-time, and I did that in New York City for about five years, so I didn't have to pay rent, and I saved a pretty good chunk of money while I was doing it. Yeah. Yeah, and I I love that aspect of your story of being able to go and make some of those decisions to meet what you were looking for. But since we last spoke, you have moved to a brand new area and have started your dog walking and pet sitting again. So what's that transition been like for you? Yeah, I think we last spoke around the summer of 2020. So COVID lockdowns were still a new thing. And um, during lockdown, My goal was basically just to make enough money to cover my living expenses and not dip into my savings, which I know was difficult for a lot of dog walkers because our income was decreased by 95% in a lot of cases. Um, I had about three years of expenses saved, so that was definitely helpful. And I also took the time to learn about um, investing the rest of the money that I had been saving. So a few months after we spoke, my boyfriend decided to move to Denver. So I moved with him. Uh, We thought we were escaping COVID. Ha ha. (laughs) So he uh, signed a lease in in Denver remotely. And then I had about a week to find coverage for my clients and pack up my things. But um, thankfully for me, uh, dog walking was still very slow at that time. So it was easy to refer my clients out to established dog walkers because they were still looking for work. So um, when we moved, I think I had about 800 verified reviews from Rover at that time. So they transferred over with me and it was pretty easy to start a a dog walking business in Denver uh, just over the span of a couple months. Um, So I did that for almost a year And then my boyfriend decided he wanted to move again (laughs) to a sparsely populated, unincorporated area of Summit County, Colorado. Mm -hmm. So it's by the ski resorts, Breckenridge and Keystone. Uh, It's about uh, 80 miles away from Denver. So it's close enough that I can still work in Denver if I want, but it's far enough that I definitely don't want to commute there 
regularly. Uh, after this latest move to the mountains, I decided to retire from daily dog walking and concentrate on vacation and travel house sitting. So because throughout COVID lockdowns in these two moves in the span of two years, I realized that I loved having time off, <laughs> but I also love working. I just don't want to work like 80 hours a week or even 40 hours a week. Yeah. Um, and vacation house sitting has always been my favorite thing to do because I love pretending that I can afford the lifestyle that my clients are living. <laughs> so, so I've just, it's always been my favorite. And um, I reran my numbers and uh, doubled my rates because I want to offer more of a concierge type pet sitting. Unfortunately, through Rover right now, the cap is $150 a night, but hopefully that will be changed in the future. But, you know, for now. $150 a night is okay. <laughs> but um, I think maybe eventually I want to get up to 300 or maybe $500 a night, but that's a few years down the line. So first things first. Yeah. Um, so that all happened a few months ago. And I also went on a working vacation to Los Angeles at the end of last year. And I was able to make about $1,200 um, picking up gigs through Rover and WAG. So that was over about a nine night span of time. So that was fun. Um, and I adopted a little doggy while I was there. So uh, now that I have more time, I was kind of looking for a purse pooch and it just so happened that there are a ton of them in the shelters in Los Angeles. Mm. And uh, the SPCA was willing to do an out-of-state adoption. So I adopted a little doggy. So, um, yeah, so every <laughs> new house <laughs> is an adventure. But um, my boyfriend isn't ready to go full nomad. So, so I guess I'll just have to settle for these, like, working vacations once every few months. <laughs> 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 Settle for those. Well, right. <laughs> and you know, I, part of your story that I I really find fascinating is um, you really are focused on the numbers and focused on the future of, of of you and having an exit plan and how this is all tied up. I am curious though, where did that get started? with you and your interest in saving and investing and, and using pet sitting really to, to do that for you? I feel like I did it backwards um, as opposed to most people. I kind of fell into investing by accident. So my first four years of pet sitting in Seattle, I didn't really make any significant money, even though I was working 24-7 365 because my rates were really low at that time when Rover was first starting they were they were advertising overnights for $25 a night so that's kind of where people were and i remember having about $10,000 in the bank and thinking that was a big deal cuz i had never had that much money saved up in my life before. Mm -hmm. So when I moved to New York City, my business plan changed. In Seattle, I was offering everything, boarding, 
drops, drop-ins, walking, everything. So once I gave up my apartment and moved to New York City, I had to convert to only out-call services. So only services within the client's home, uh, which is dog walking, cat care, and house sitting. So um, I also had nowhere to put my stuff because I'm a spender by nature. So I just like to spend money on things (laughs) just to make myself feel better. (laughs) But when I went to New York, I was working a lot and I was living rent free and I was basically only spending my money on pizza and takeout. (laughs) So I continued to accumulate money and then I started raising my rates and accumulating more money. (laughs) And I kind of didn't know what to do with the money that I was saving So through the magic of the internet, I was able to connect with some full-time house sitters. Their names are um, Tim and Amy Rutherford. They run a YouTube channel and a Facebook group called Go With Less. You should join it because they're really amazing. Um, So they found out that I was house sitting full-time through Rover and they wanted to connect and share stories. And... um, when I listened to their story, I was just blown away because they are basically disciples of what's called the FIRE movement. So that stands for uh, financial independence, retire early. And for most people, and for Tim and Amy, this means that you work the corporate job that you hate (laughs) until you accumulate about 25 times your annual spending. And then you tell your employer to shove it and then (laughs) you retire so that you can enjoy life before you get too old. So typical retirement age is maybe like 65 ish. So Early retirement, depending on what you earn and what you spend, can be anywhere between, say, age 30 to age 60. And for some people, the RE in FIRE stands for recreational employment instead of retire early. And I really identify that because although I do take my work seriously, I'm definitely here for a good time. Not a long time. So the minute dog walking starts to become stressful for me, then I know that it's time to figure out something else because I 100% do it because I love it and because it's a low stress work for me. So, um, So for me, if I'm following classic fire in my annual spending is around $20,000 a year, then my fire or retirement number is going to be around $500,000. So once I have $500,000 in the bank, then that money can continue to work for me through investments. And then, um, and then I can just live on that money hypothetically for the rest of my years. <laughs> Well, and what I, you know, this concept of basically like kind of gritting your teeth for a little bit to do something for a payoff in the end of being able to do what you want. I think that's that kind of mentality is difficult for some people. Uh, and and especially to think about doing it for, for dog walking and pet sitting, which is an industry that I see a lot of people saying, I can barely make a living in this. How, how can you expect me? to to save for a future, I, I can barely pay my bills right now. 
Yeah, and I think that's true of a lot of people, or even if you think about it, when people have a full-time job, but they're dog walking on the side just to help cushion their savings. Um, And for me, I never liked working for other people, so that trade-off was never worth it. People are like, oh, what about medical insurance? Like, Medical insurance for me is around $300 a month. So I just, I just put it in my budget and I just pay for it. You know, same thing with coffee and lattes. It's just part of my budget. So I just make it work. So, um, so I think it's just kind of a shift, but I think that dog walkers and just people in general have a hard time thinking about self-employment unless you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year thinking that self-employment is going to be um, a way for financial independence. Yeah, it really is to to sit down and look at those numbers. I know when we went full-time it it was going, you know, how much of a decision is this, you know, at $300 a month for health insurance, you know, it's $3,600 a year. Is it worth uh, the the time, the, the strain doing the stuff that you don't like to do in your other job uh, to, to to quit and go in your full time for that amount of money. Like you, there's also this quality of life benefit that you get to to look at as well. And I think appropriately and something that you, you really focus on too, especially with, with dog walking, pet sitting and now house sitting uh, is, is, is setting your prices appropriately. So how do you go about knowing what to price and, and what uh, the, the, the areas that you're going to, be working in can can really bear. Yeah, so basically I started playing around with the numbers as I was walking dogs in New York City and I had a lot of time to think. <laughs> <laughs> so, um I had already been in the business for about 4 years before I started saving money. So I already had a good idea of how much I could feasibly work in a day or in a week and I just started playing with numbers. And I always like the sound of six figures. So I would punch into my calculator. Okay. If I want to make a hundred thousand dollars a year, how many dogs do I have to walk? And at what rate in order to make that happen? How many dogs is that a day? Are they solo walks? Are they small group walks? How much commute time do I have in between walks? What if I raise my rates to $5 a walk? You know, what if I take four weeks of vacation? What if I only want to work Monday through Friday? These are all things that people can think about for their own business and just kind of plug it into a calculator and do a little back of the napkin math and see what works for you and whether that's even attainable for for your lifestyle and your goals. Mm -hmm. But for me, um, also a six-figure rate meant earning around $50 an hour. So if you someone works for the man and they earn about $50 an hour, 40 hours a week, that's the six figures, hypothetically. But it's pretty difficult for a solo dog walker to actually walk dogs for 40 hours a week. So there's commute time involved, et cetera. But um, if I was booking walks close to each other and earning about $50 an hour, or if that was my goal, then I was pretty happy with that. So what I did was I set my 30 minute rate to $25 and uh, $25. And then my hourly rate was $50 an hour simply because that's what I wanted to make. There's no other rationale for it <laughs> because most people charge lower, but I didn't want to charge lower. So my hourly rate 
was $50 an hour and people paid it. Um, I don't necessarily think that I have special pet sitting powers, but I've come to realize that finding reliable pet care has always been a problem. And I feel like it's a problem wherever you go. Some clients just want the best and they're willing to throw money at the best. Um, And I remember having dinner in Manhattan with a friend from LA. We're both originally from the Midwest. So I think that's why we're friends because we certainly have nothing else in common. (laughs) He's a big time Hollywood producer. So we're at some fancy bar in New York. And I was like, oh, I'm house sitting and walking dogs in New York. And, you know, being a man and a producer, (laughs) she was like, are you the best? And I'm like, well, I have a lot of reviews. And he's like, okay, so you're the best. You should charge your rates. You should set your rates at $500 a night and market yourself at the best as the best. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like I just moved to New York and I think I was charging $18 a walk and $45 an overnight and just trying to establish my dog walking business. But um, the fast forward five years and many wealthy clients later, and I think he knew what he was talking about. (laughs) So if you think about it, we pay higher rates for master hairstylists and master groomers established tattoo artists. So why wouldn't someone pay more for a master pet sitter? Like I'm not trying to be Walmart. I'm not trying to book most people. I'm trying to be Louis Vuitton. I've never bought Louis Vuitton. I'll never buy Louis Vuitton, (laughs) but um, I'm not going to be in everyone's budget, but I'm not trying to be. So I'm just charging what people are willing to pay. And I'm kind of trying to find that ceiling. I'll let you know if I reach it. <laughs> I, I'm very interested for sure. And I know most people look at those and think, oh, I, I I could never charge that. There's somebody down the street that charges less. So I can't raise my prices too much. But but you know, which what I hear you saying is you have this goal of this fire um, financial independence retire early or recreational part is going, in order to meet that, what must I do? And then looking at dog walking and pet sitting, looking at your business and going, I need to use this as the vehicle to get me to my goals. And I think that's a really appropriate way to look at our businesses and look at what we're doing to make sure that they're actually working for us, that we aren't just out there doing this and not getting anything in return. And I think part of that is understanding that it's okay for us to actually make a living on this. Like that is genuinely okay. And many people struggle with that mindset to go, oh, I can I can ask for money. I can ask for more money. I can ask for a lot of money because that's what I'm doing and is I can meet my goals with this and always keeping that kind of central to our decision making and how we move forward. Yeah. I remember being a client before I got into pet sitting and uh I thought <laughs> dog walker rates were outrageous. Yeah. Just because it wasn't in my budget. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that they're not worth it. Now I realize because I'm charging more than they were. <laughs> so yeah. so yeah. So our our background, our comfort level isn't really a good indicator for what people are willing to pay. I think a lot of pet sitters come from modest backgrounds. Um so I, I don't know what it's like to have endless amounts of money or just to pay someone $100 an hour just because you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah or, or just changing mindsets. Like my, my background, um, dogs were not members of the family. They were to be had and enjoyed, but 
with, they, they weren't really lavished on like a lot of modern pet parents do these days. So even then, we bring in a lot of our biases and expectations for how we were raised or how we would expect to approach this, this problem. And you find people that um, never blink an eye at your rates. And, that, and I think that's something that more people should do is to play with their rates, to try and see, to, all, to push them up and see what people will pay. And I mean, Megan and I just had an experience today where somebody posted in a local Facebook group and said, who do I need to take care of my pets? And we were recommended. And she had responded with, wow, look at those rates. And every single one of the people who responded to that were our clients. And they're like, it's worth it. 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 <laughs> that's like, great. Just over and over. And it was like, it was kind of, you know, we didn't say anything. We we're just like, oh, well, that's really nice that people, they see that value. And and some people do and, and, and some people don't. And at that point, it's going, that's okay. Because I don't have to be everything to all people. Yeah. I feel like a lot of clients who are willing to pay higher rates. I don't ask. Sometimes they volunteer this information, but I feel like maybe they've been burned by pet sitters in the past and they just, you know, they associate a higher rate with maybe more dependability, uh, maybe just more personal attention, something like that. And they just want to make sure that it's handled. They don't want to be looking for a pet sitter the night before their vacation. They don't want to worry about whether Fido is safe or whether he's happy. They just want to make sure that it's taken care of. And if that means throwing extra money at it, then so be it. <laughs> yeah. No, you're totally right. It's them going, what, what, how, what money can I light on fire to make this problem go away? And that, right. is, that is a lot of money for some people. I want to do that when I grow up. <laughs> I know. I know. And, and, and everybody, we have to realize that people make decisions based off of how much of a problem they are having in their life. And that's we're in the peace of mind business. That peace of mind is more valuable to some people than others. And we can't, yeah. we, can, we can do our part to help educate about all the benefits and all of this stuff. But if somebody doesn't actually see the problem or they don't feel that burden, Sometimes they're not going to pay that price. And again, it's one of those things of going, that's fine. Like I will, there are people out there who, who do see the value in this. They do have that burden and that problem that needs to be solved. And that's what, that, that's where we can come along. And, and right, as you said a couple of times here, like sometimes all it takes is just showing up and being dependable. Like that's what people light money on fire more often than not is how can I know that you're actually going to do what you're going to say you're going to do? And that's what they're paying for. Yeah, I Great. And I feel like a lot of people also get into dog walking more as a side hustle. And then maybe especially for women, you also get some kind of emotional validation out of it because you're helping. Um, And I feel like a lot of problems happen when those emotions become too much of a part of the equation, because I feel like some problem situations, people are like, I love this dog, but... And for me, that just seems really weird. It's like, like, what is this Tinder? Like, we're not, we're not going to make excuses because we love a dog. (laughs) So you just kind of have to know what you're willing to do, how much you're willing to do it for. And that's all going to take trial and error because I certainly know that I, there are certain jobs that I've taken in the past, which retrospectively were too much work. And then I'm just like, all right, well, the next time that kind of situation comes up, I'm definitely not going to do it, whether it's a commute further than I want to go, or it's a dog that needs to be put on a potty pad every hour. I didn't take that job, (laughs) but just (laughs) things that clients will request. You just have to understand your boundaries and 
what your time is worth. Yeah, and not getting emotionally tied up into that. I think that's been one of the biggest learning curves from from me personally, and and I know for Megan as well, of going uh, the, at the end of the day, this is a business. Yes, it's a very personalized business, and yes, it is um, very. Uh, th- there's a lot of emotions and a lot of energy that we invest in into the to the pets and to their parents, but it is a business transaction, and so getting caught up emotionally in in these transactions is is it can be helpful because you can be sensitive to clients, but can also put yourself at risk and detrimental because you'll find yourself doing things that are not good for you or that uh, you really shouldn't be doing, <laughs> be doing because it's yeah. not worth your time. Uh, but that is hard to separate out those emotions, the the, the feeling of investment. Oh, oh I've, I've, I've cared for this dog for 10 years or, oh, they've been through so much already. And it, it, we do get tied up in that. Yeah. And I think that is a little easier for me because I change uh, locations so frequently. And I think also people that are booking pet care in large cities, it's just more of a, sometimes it's just more of a one-time thing or they're only there for a year. When I moved out of Denver, I was starting to tell my clients, oh, I'm moving to the mountains. I'm so sad. And they're like, we're moving too. (laughs) So it was, it was great. It was perfect timing. (laughs) But, um, but I know that uh, when I charge lower rates, I always, I mean, I started pet sitting honestly, because I thought that because I couldn't afford dog walking because I couldn't afford a pet care professional for my own dogs. So I started pet care because I was stuck at home and I was like, Oh, I want to be the affordable option. And that worked for a time. But, um, I always thought that clients who pay a lower rate, they're going to be more laid back and, you know, more relatable. And I always thought that if I raised my rates to some what I considered a ridiculous level that the clients would be really nitpicky and higher maintenance, but I haven't found that to be the case. I found that people who are willing to pay more, they're just more like transactional in nature. And like we, like we stated before, they just want to make sure it's handled and they're willing to spend money on it. Yeah. I guess that's a really good point. They tend to be more transactional in nature and they'll hold up their end of the bargain as long as you hold up your end, which is you show up. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, can you give me a discount? Yeah. If you put the money in my pocket right now, (laughs) but yeah, I, I, that's one of the reasons why I actually prefer to book on Rover because my off Rover like rates and like not negotiations, but I mean, I do have a bottom line. That's a lot lower than my rover rates. And I just don't like to have those conversations. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think having that kind of interface, so whether it is an an app like Rover or whether you have a booking software for your own business, um, having that direct interface where all the owner is doing is clicking buttons, there's less wiggle room for any sort of, oh, well, what about? Or what about this? Or what if you did this? It's just, these are the options. It's like ordering off of a menu. Here are the options. It is. Do you like these? submit like that that's it and it really does take out that those those wiggle room for clients to try and wiggle down your prices because it's just it's just right there and they can either choose to click it or not yeah i love it it's fantastic <laughs> have you heard of time to pet claire from acton critter sitters has this to say 
Time to Pet has honestly revolutionized how we do business. My sitters can work much more independently because they have ongoing access to customer and pet information without relying on me. I save hours upon hours of administrative time on billing, processing payments, and generating paychecks. If you are looking for new pet sitting software, give Time to Pet a try. Listeners of our show save 50% off your first three months by visiting timetopet.com slash confessional. Well, so part of part of this 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 mentality, the, the fire, some of your goals here. Part of it is the, the 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 making the income and setting your prices appropriately. The other part is obviously reducing expenses and and saving some. So I, I know you've you've been nomadic for a long time. Um, how do you go about knowing how much to save and and really what what that process thought process is for you for for not spending all of that money? Yeah, so I basically um, sat down and figured out my budget. So uh, it's basically what cell phone, medical insurance. Um, now I have a car payment. Um, those things, and then just adding them up. And then I also use budgeting software, so um, so you can kind of track what you are spending, but also what you're earning. There are a few apps out there. I use one called Mint. Um, But I think that final financial discipline is kind of like healthy, like eating healthy, your exercise, you just have to keep at it every day, little by little, just building small sustainable habits. And sometimes you might slip up or you might have a full-blown relapse, shopping, therapy, whatever. (laughs) But the important thing is that you understand your spending and earning patterns and then just make changes that are working for you. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the 50, 30, 20 rule is a good place to start. And this means that from your post-tax dollars, you're supposed to allocate about 50% of your money toward needs. So things that are non-negotiable. For me, those are rent, cell phone, car, things like that. And then 30% toward wants. So those are going to be like entertainment, um, things that you don't need, dining out, movies, whatever you choose to spend that on. And then the rest of the 20% of your money is supposed to go into savings. So I think people just have to sit down and figure out those numbers for their lifestyle. And then once you figure that out, the beautiful thing about being self-employed is that our rates can be whatever they want or whatever we want them to be. So figure out what rates you need to make in order to make those um, numbers happen. And, you know, maybe it's $5 a service here, $10 a service there. Maybe it is trying to do small pack walks, if that's feasible for you. Um, And you just kind of have to figure those out. Because if you don't know where you want to go, then you're just going to be stuck in the cycle of, oh, here are my bills. Here's some money. I'm going to throw money at my bills and then just, Mm -hmm. you know, keep going at it. But you just kind of have to figure out where you want to go. Yeah, that is that is totally critical of if you've never sat down and done a monthly personal budget, not a budget for the business, anything that's expended there, but for your personal budget to see what am I spending, how much money do I need, and then things like Mint and um, you, you Need a Budget or other things like that, actually track that and put it into categories so you can see whether you're sticking to your budget or not. So kind of getting back at that, those spending habits. 
that really is foundational to sitting there and going, okay, if this is my if this is my baseline, what do I need to meet that? And then sitting down, I use spreadsheets because they're kind of the best because I can just click one. <laughs> I can, and, and then uh, calculates a bunch of stuff for me. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's whatever. Um, but sitting down and going, okay, how much if I increase this by a dollar, if I increase this by two dollars, if I increase this by twenty dollars, where does that get me? And now I get to go out and I get to, to work for that and try and find those people who can do that so that I can be meeting my goals tool. That's where that kind of that little bit of hustle comes from of going, okay, this is what I need. I've got to go out and I've got to get my business into people's lives who need that and can pay that so that I can start having this, this plan for my business and my, and my personal life too, because that's ultimately what we want. We want to have a life and want to have something at the end of this business when we're done and we want to move on to something else. We we kind of we do want to have something to show. What you want to move on to something else? I'm just <laughs> <laughs> maybe I don't understand. Exactly, exactly. Like th- there needs to be something there, and having that fifty thirty twenty rule at least as a guiding principle, because you know you may do your budget and go, okay, actually, um, I don't need fifty percent to go towards this, so I can increase my savings, or I can do other things and just make it work for you. Yeah, for sure, and I. Um, also listened to a bunch of finance podcasts when I was out walking dogs. I know that not everyone likes to listen to podcasts, but um, while they're working, but for some of us ADV types, you kind of have to. For me, um, Susie Orman was the gateway <laughs> because it's very, it was very easy to understand. I can't listen to her anymore because, <laughs> because it's so simple, <laughs> yes. but, um, but that was an example of a podcast that for me, it was just very easy to digest and to learn about um, just personal finance and investing and, and things like that at a very 101 level. I also like the Motley Fool series. I think Motley Fool Answers is pretty good in breaking things down. And then once you start listening to a few, a few um, finance podcasts, you know, the, the AI algorithms will suggest a bunch more for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I also like Motley Fool, um, not really for investing into individual stocks or individual companies, but really to get a better picture overall of kind of like how things are going and what sectors are are healthy or not, uh, and just kind of stay on top of stop, top of everything. So when, when you talk about um, investing basics and things like that, what are some things that really impacted you that you wish more people knew or, or, or recognized? Yeah, for me, it was just how to get started. Mm-hmm. So as I was earning money, I was just shoving it into savings accounts because <laughs> I didn't know what else to do with it. So at the time, I think interest rates were pretty good. Mm-hmm. They were about 2%. Woo-wee! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then they started to fall. <laughs> um, so once they the high-yield interest accounts were around... I think 0.5% interest. I was like, I can't buy that many lattes on my <laughs> interest anymore. <laughs> so um, that was coincidental, coincidentally about the time that COVID hit. So suddenly I had a bunch of time to listen to more podcasts and, um, and just to play around with some investing apps. Thankfully, investing now is no fee. So for frugal people like me, I can invest all I want and take out my money all I want. Um, but yeah, so I, I, 
it took COVID lockdowns for me to just kind of sit down and just figure out how to move my money from a savings account to an investment or brokerage account. And um, there are also uh, investment calculators out there that you can use. I use that when I was trying to figure out my finances for for this kind of like soft retirement. Um, so if I have, you know, $200,000 a year, sorry, not, I wish I had $2,000 a year. If I had $200,000 to invest, then I yeah. can just plug that into a calculator and they can say, how much are you going to add to it? Um, what's your time horizon? So I would put, say, I'm not going to add anything to it beyond this 200,000. And then I just want to let it grow over 15 years. And then this magic calculator will tell you how much you could possibly have at the end of, you know, in 15 years, if you just let your investments simmer. So those are, those are all tools that I like to use. Yeah. And I think they are very, very important. I think for me, one of the concepts that got me really excited about saving and investing was actually finally understanding what compound interest does uh, to investments and going, oh, it continues to work for itself as more money is gained in that account. And the key for that is to to start early or to shovel as much money in as, as possible over time. Yeah. And so it's kind of, it's very interesting to sit and kind of and do, use those calculators with your spreadsheets to, to, to see where you can be in 20 years and 30 years. Because I know for me, it's like, ugh. Especially when we first started out, but you know, ten years ago or whatever, we were graduate students and we had just started pet sitting. We had no money to our names, and it was like, oh, I can only put away a hundred dollars this month. But to sit down with a calculator and go, well, if I put a hundred dollars in, in an account every month at eight percent interest, uh, compound interest for ten years, that's actually a considerable amount of money. So it's also having this long term view in mind and along these long term goals, and that's where we need to kind of be thinking with a lot of this too. Yeah, I agree. And my mentality before I started investing was basically, okay, I could sit down and learn how to invest, which is this big, scary thing. Or I could just go out and walk a dog for 20 bucks. <laughs> and it was a lot easier <laughs> to go yeah. out and walk a dog for 20 bucks. So I just never looked at it. But again, once COVID lockdowns happened, and I was uh, started investing and looking at my accounts, I'm like, what? I can make a thousand dollars a day by doing nothing. I mean, I can also lose two thousand dollars a day, <laughs> but <laughs> but you know, when you're a dog walker and you're used to increments of twenty dollars, mm-hmm. uh, watching the money work for you is just really impressive. And like you were saying, it could you could be you could put a hundred dollars a month aside. You could allocate five dollars, ten dollars, twenty five dollars, fifty dollars. Anything is a good place to start because again, it's about it's about developing habits. And if you automatically have that, say, $50 set to transfer into your savings, you're never going to miss it. You're just going to work your budget around that, you know, that $50 less, and you're not even going to miss it. Yes. And I know for for me, one of the big mindset shifts that I had to do when it came to finances and running our own business was money's kind of coming in and going constantly in the business. So it can be a little bit of overwhelming of like days. Like I get paid basically every single day for little things that we're doing and all the walks and the drop-ins and stuff. So I basically had to set a schedule of every one, one day a week is whenever I'm going to sit down, I'm going to move money. I'm going to pay bills. I'm going to do this stuff. 
and it helped consolidate a little bit of that too. And like you said, having these things on autopilot of the first and 15th of every month, things get saved. And then when I sit down on the day after that, that's the money that I have left to then do everything else. And you're right. You don't miss it because you never saw it in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And I love that there's so many banking apps now. So I I can check my finances compulsively if I want. <laughs> but that also becomes a hobby. Saving money becomes a hobby. So um, so I think that that was also a shift for me in terms of spending on things that I didn't need into saving money that I would someday eventually use, you know, if there's a global pandemic or something. <laughs> like that would ever happen. Right. Um, <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> insane. You know, and, you know, I think something else to point out here is you're doing all of this solo. Uh, you've been, been solo as a walker and as a pet care provider for over 10 years now at this point. Um, did you ever feel like you wanted to or were interested in, in hiring? I don't think that I ever felt a strong urge to do that. I have worked with some people in the past when in the early days, you know, I worked with a boyfriend at the time and then I um, ended up finding someone when I was in Seattle to work with. And I just, I, I tried those things and I just, I'm so type A that I don't want to be responsible for someone else's mistakes. (laughs) I don't want to listen to why you have a migraine or why you can't come in today or, um, or that you got locked out and lost someone's key. Those are all mistakes that I've already made and, and I'm over it. (laughs) But, um, but I, I really, and also I really love being in the field. I hate paperwork. I don't know how to use a spreadsheet. (laughs) So, um, so for me, it's always, it's just going to be me. And, um, because I know that I can, control the quality the best that way. And I also feel like if it's just me, then it's easier to raise rates because, because you're paying for me. You're not paying for whatever college kid is working for a company this summer. Mm. So, um, so that's how I'm going to increase the amount of money I'm making. I don't have to stay at $20 per 30 minutes or $25 per 30 minutes or $30 per 30 minutes. It's all literally driven by the demand for pet care services for my services in particular versus how much I feel like working. Honestly, like inflation isn't even a part of the equation or my expenses. My expenses are all baked in because because my rates are on the higher side of things. So I have a lot more wiggle room. And then the easier jobs are just awesome. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I think, so that's how I've decided to grow my business is just by continuing to raise my rates as my experience and demand grows. Yeah, I think that's really important to hear is that these goals, this financial planning, this desire to retire or do something different later in life doesn't mean you have to build this huge, massive business with a bunch of employees across different service areas and all this stuff. Like it, like doing doing planning, budgeting, and then sticking to your investment plan really can get you there. And I think too often, especially because we are afraid of charging too much and we don't charge enough, we don't feel like we're making any traction. But again, looking at this over a little bit longer time horizon than today and tomorrow is is really helpful in considering, okay, I, I can have something 
down the line that that I have have built and I've worked on over the last several years. Yeah, exactly. There are so many pet sitters who are overworked. So I think they just have to consider like if you have if your books are full and um, then it's time to raise rates. If your clients are tipping you, then that means there's more money in their budget for you. Mm-hmm. So it's time to raise rates. And you may lose a couple clients, but who cares? You're going to get new clients in who are going to be attracted by your reputation and they're going to pay your new rates because they never knew any different. I don't even mess with one or $2 rate raises. My rate raises are $5 per walk or $10 for an overnight. And even doing that, what I would try to do is I would say raise walk rates one year and then raise overnight rates the second year. And even that wasn't enough to keep up with the demand. Right. <laughs> so, so I was like, all right, double it. <laughs> yeah. But you know, also I am in a little bit of a unique, unique situation because I'm not trying to retain the clients that I had at lower rates. I'm like, these are my rates now. Yeah. You can pay them if you are at a lower price point, which is totally fine. I network with a bunch of amazing people in Denver that could probably help you out. You had said that when, if clients are tipping you, it means they have space in their budget. And I see at the end of the year, tons of people posting about all the tips, all the gifts, all the things that their clients got them for their services. And I look at that and I go, well, if they gave you a thousand dollar tip for Christmas, it means that you could have been charging them a little, at least $2 more service throughout the rest of the year and made it up then. And I think it's just, we get this kind of one hit of this big uh, dopamine boost at the end of the year when we get a gift that we kind of forget like, oh, this is, I could amortize this throughout all of my walks throughout the rest of the year and um, be making more across all of my clients then. Yeah, for sure. I had, uh, because I gave up my dailies probably around October. So when the holidays came around, I will admit I was a little sad because I'm like, oh, I'm not getting holiday bonuses. But then the other part of my brain was like, your rates are double now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the, yeah. the holiday bonuses aren't even going to be a drop in that bucket <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you are booking at double your rates right now. I'm like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we have to exactly and having again, this like more long-term view of on an annual basis going, okay, if this one client gave me a thousand dollars, if I raise my rates so that they pay me that thousand dollars throughout the rest of the year, that also means I'm raising rates on everybody else. So I'm making even way more than that. So stop trying to live off the tips and the little extra things that you get at, at the end of the year and put that across the rest of it too. Yeah, exactly. And then I need, you know, if I'm going to take time off, then I also need to build those four weeks you know, as a solopreneur, I need to build those four weeks of not getting money into my budget. So maybe that means also, you know, an extra $5 a walk to accommodate for that. And that's okay. Your clients aren't going to miss it. They're not. You know, as you think back to kind of where you're going, um, what what is your, your, your exit plan? I had started thinking about retirement before COVID happened, because I think that dog walking, is a young man's game <laughs> and it's a lot of commitment to show up to multiple homes every Monday through Friday. And I had already been doing it for like eight years at that point. Yeah. Um, 
So I was already in a pretty good position when COVID lockdown started happening. So for me, COVID lockdowns were just kind of like a trial retirement. I didn't know it was at the time, <laughs> but retrospectively, it kind of was. Um, so I reran my numbers and then I was like, originally my fire plan was going to take 10 years. And I think I was about four years into that. So during COVID, when I reran my numbers, I was like, I can just invest the money that I have and then just make enough money to cover my living expenses and I should be golden. And for me, that number is around $20,000 a year. Maybe it will be more because (laughs) maybe I'll spend more money with my free time, but we'll see. Um, So for me, if I work half the year, then I only have to make a little bit over $100 a day, which compared to what I was doing is completely feasible. So, um, so that's kind of the plan that I'm on now. Cause I know that I'll never fully retire because I love dog walking and pet sitting, but because I don't have as many clients now, then I can really enjoy the gigs that I do take. So that for me is really appealing and, and very sustainable. And I also know that um, if I ever need more money, I can just go back to dog walking because I've already moved, you know, four times. And two of that was in the last two years uh, through a pandemic. And I could always just pick up dog walking wherever I landed. Mm. So that to me is very comforting as a backup plan if I need it. And I think what's really important here is just take one step aside here and say, we're not saying everybody needs to be on the FIRE program and everybody needs to try and retire in 10 years or less and everybody needs to be doing these things. I think what's really key here is just understanding, that's why I wanted to have you back on, Jen, is to help us understand the importance of setting these longer-term goals so that we can work our business and work our lives to meet them. And that ultimately is is really what this this big takeaway here is, is understanding that I set goals, I can work towards the goals, and I can structure things around them so that I can meet those. And and that's going to look different for everybody. And it should, rightfully so. If somebody's like, oh, you know, I would like to do a 30-year plan or something like that. But having a plan is really so powerful when we start looking at everything from prices to locations to services that we offer and even like how busy we want to be. If we don't have those plans, if we don't know our numbers, it's really hard to set everything else in context. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if I wanted to be a slave to my schedule and never raise my rates, then I would just work for someone else. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I, I have full control of that. I just have to make it happen. And you can't make it happen until you understand what you want. Yeah. Well, so for, for people who are listening, who maybe struggle with staying on track with long-term goals and understanding that, what's some, what's some advice that you would give to them? Uh, I think it's important to know that it's not going to happen overnight. And I think that's one of the reasons why, um, why I ended up in CNBC because like my situation is so crazy because I just like gave up having a place to stay in order to fast track it. Um, but just know that it's not going to happen overnight. Maybe you'll read some inspirational 
stories in the news or listen to some inspirational stories on a podcast, but know that your journey is going to be personal to you. And it's just going to be small uh, pieces of progress, small changes in your spending, small changes in your earning, which could be, you know, $5 of $20 is what, 25% raise. So that's pretty cool. But um, yeah, just understand that there's going to be some progress and some setbacks. But as long as you understand where you're going and kind of get back on the horse and just keep doing it little by little by little, then eventually your overall situation is going to change for the better. It might not happen overnight, but maybe at the end of next year, you'll have an extra $5,000. Maybe at the end of the year after that, you'll have an extra $10,000. And once you start building those habits, then you can start setting more aggressive goals for yourself, like doubling your rates. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kind of kidding. But anyway, <laughs> so yeah, I think that's just it. Just, just understand um, your habits and, and what you need to do to get to where you want to go. Absolutely. You know, Jen, I know that there's a lot more to this and uh, if someone's listening and they want to learn more about fire or pick your brain on setting rates or, or how to go about getting more um, financially fit. Um, how best can they do that? Uh, I run a Facebook group called the pet care hustle. So it's um, a lot of it is app based because that's what I know is working through the apps. Um, mm-hmm. But you can come find the, Facebook group, the pet care hustle, or you can always find me on Facebook. I'll be, you know, I'm happy to answer questions. There's a lot about finance that I don't know about, but, um, but I know how to raise my rates. <laughs> and then I'll just figure out the rest after that. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, is pretty foundational to everything that we've, <laughs> we've talked about. It is, today. right? So, yeah, first, it's, money. It's, it's, <laughs> Second, what do I do with the money? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you have to have that first before you can yeah. do anything with it. So totally understand. Jen, I can't thank you enough for coming back on the show and giving us an update on how you're doing and then encouraging us to take those little steps and start building building some of those financial muscles that we need to have a, a, a better future and a different future if we want to have that. So I want to thank you so much for your time. Okay, great. Thanks for having me on. This is a great conversation. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. I really encourage you to sit down, whether this week or next, and start putting down some numbers as to what you would like to see in your retirement, how you would like your exit plan to look. When we start doing just basic financial planning right now, it sets ourselves up for success in one, five, 10, 20 year timeframes. It just takes a little bit of planning. So whether you can set aside 50 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month, or $1,000 a month, whatever that looks like for you, the important part is to start now and start reaching those goals because we all want to do something else eventually. We all have ideas of what's next in our lives. And we need to prepare for that. We need to plan for that appropriately. We want to thank today's sponsors, Time to Pet, for making today's show possible. And we really want to thank you so much for listening. If you have questions about more financial planning or retirement or what that would look like, or maybe your views on how you are going about it in your approach, we'd love to hear from you. You can send that to feedback at PetSitterConfessional.com. And we're at PetSitterConfessional on social media. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll be back again soon.